family night here at Fostory Baptist Church on a Sunday night. Grab your Bibles, Numbers chapter 13. If you join me there, Numbers chapter number 13. Numbers chapter 13. Reminder, next week is Mother's Day, and so we're looking forward to that. We'll have a gift for all the mothers that are present, and so hope you can be here, and as we certainly celebrate them, but also recognize them, and so looking forward to that. Children will be up here again with some candy and goodies, the, the box of treats, and so if you take some notes, or maybe be ready to answer a question tonight, then you come up and see us afterwards. I'd like to see you up here. Appreciate you being here. Hope you'll listen. They're out the message. It is a continuation of what we studied this morning, the operations of our opposition. In other words, the devil going at work, we uh, just taking some time to consider our enemy, and especially because we're coming off revival. Reality is he is active, and he is a, uh, he, he is a ready and always looking for an opportunity. And we talked about that this morning. He, he wants to gain an advantage. He wants to slow us down. He wants to stop us and destroy us in the Christian walk and our growth. And again, he's even more active. He's conducting even more operations when we're going through a, a time of spiritual growth, when we're going through a revival and things as such. And so um, he's on full alert. He's our adversary, as the Bible calls him. And ever since he fell from heaven, it's been the case. We talked about real quickly because we have several here who we're here this morning. Just recap real quick. We talked about how Job described his actions, and uh, it goes right along f- uh, with First Peter five eight, doesn't it? And he, he's walking around seeking who may devour. He is going throughout the earth, and he appeared. And um, uh, it's neat. I, I was reading in Revelation this week about how the time is coming when there's actually going to be war in heaven, and Satan will no longer be able to come before God in heaven and accuse the brethren. And he'll be kicked out, and his time of doing just what he has described here will be done, and he'll be thrown into the, the chains and, and uh, uh, held for a thousand years and things. Pretty, pretty awesome story as we think about it. That day is coming. But right now, here's, here he is. He's active, and uh, he's seeking whom he may devour in many ways. But, but let me point this out. We didn't have this on the slide this morning, but it's so important. What, was, what is he doing as he walks to and through the earth? Well, he's waging war. Right? And uh, that should be a W, not a R. I don't know why I put the R there. Forgive me. That's terrible use of grammar and uh, spelling. But waging war, right? And uh, he's waging war on God and God's people. That's his desire, okay? And you could say he's raging with an R too. But anyway, and, uh, but he is waging war, right? And uh, he's just trying to stop it. He, he doesn't want God's kingdom on here on earth. He doesn't want you and I to grow and to become better people and better Christians and saints who are sanctified and set apart for for God. So he has many operations. We looked this morning real quick. We looked at the first one, Operation Devour. And uh, what's the goal? The objective is what? To swallow us up. And we saw that terminology, the term of devour. He'll use anything in life to overwhelm us, circumstances, other people, finances, sickness, false teachers, you name it, he will use it. And so the answer to that is what 1 Peter 5, 8 said, right? Be sober, be vigilant. In other words, be watching because you know the scope of his intentions. There are no good intentions to what the devil wants to do. There's nothing good he offers. There's nothing that he's going about being good about. He has negative, terrible intentions. And so know them, be vigilant, be sober. Then we talked about the need to resist the devil, resist steadfast in the faith. In verse number 9, I believe it is there in 1 Peter chapter 5. Okay, We talked about how through faith we are overcomers. And this is the point that God said. You are an overcomer, each one of us as believers. We shared these verses. They're, They're good and encouraging. First John 4, 4, ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them. As I said this morning, the passage is about the spirit of the Antichrist that comes from the devil. Anybody associated with the devil, the Antichrist in Revelation, but also those who would have part and parcel with the devil today that are against God, rebelling against him, you have overcome them. Because you are an overcomer in Jesus Christ. That's the passage and the truth and the proof here. And why? Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. You can overcome no matter what operation he throws at you. So resist him. It's a great truth, great encouragement for you and I. And then Christ himself said this personal word in John 16, These things have I spoken unto you. He's speaking to you and I as believers, those who are followers of him, that in me ye might have peace. Now, isn't that interesting? Don't miss it. Okay, I think this, I love part, or parceling the verses. Notice what he did not say. Uh, you will not find peace in the world. <laughs> you will not find peace in your strength, your endeavors, and those things. The only place you're going to find peace is in Jesus Christ. Okay, so you can have peace in me. 
in the world, what does it give? Tribulation, heartache, heart, uh, sorrow, breaks your heart, uh, discourages you. But in me, you have peace. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Aren't you glad today that the day is coming when this world will pass away? Everything therein, everything that is he uses to swallow us up, to overcome us, or try to, to overwhelm us, will be gone away. It will uh, be done away with. And boy, what a great encouragement that is to remind ourselves of that simple truth, okay? Then we saw the second operation. Operation devour, the object is to swallow you up. Number two, operation discouragement, the objective, the goal is to discourage you in the work. Okay. We looked at Nehemiah chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, and Sabalat there and Tobias, they, they were used of the devil to mock and that assault, trying to make us think we're not worth anything, we aren't of any value, we're failures as believers, you're not accomplishing anything, yet you can't do anything, your ministries are failures, it's constant, the devil's after us. And so we made the statement, don't let Satan's... Um, mocking stop you don't get discouraged keep going don't be weary and well-doing as the new testament said then in verse seven and eight um the mocking didn't work so he resorts to what well the devil will often resort to head-on attacks remember it says fight and hinder the mocking didn't work so Sabalat and tobias came and they showed up there at the wall in jerusalem and they said listen let's we're going to fight against this we're going to stop it we're going to hinder the work and that's where Satan is. He'll, he'll try to discourage you by word. And, and uh, someone made a good point today. I, I thought it was a good thought after the service. We were talking through the message. And, and they made this point. I, you, you might remember Japan. I believe it was Japan probably more than anybody else. Boy, Japan was notorious for trying to discourage our troops in the war. They would drop leaflets and pamphlets all through battlefields and basically discouraging us. They would broadcast, I think there was somebody called Tokyo Jane, if you remember. And she was a female broadcaster, and they talk about how things are bad at home, and aren't, don't you miss home. And, uh, and they would just broadcast all this discouraging talk to our soldiers, trying to make them lament being on the battlefield, get them to stop fighting, stop working, in other words. And so we see it even play out in, in history. That's what the devil does. Okay, I often think, you remember the cartoons we, we grew up, or some of us grew up on Looney Tunes, right? They'd often show the angel on one shoulder and the little devil on the other, right? And talking in your ear. Well, can I tell you, the devil does that. The devil says, yeah, yeah you're, you're not doing anything. Why, why are you wasting your time? Why are you, why are you doing that? It's never going to work. You're never going to come. He'll never be saved. Your family will never live for God. Why are you even trying? Stop the work. Stop it. That's what the devil wants. Much like Tobias and about, And if that doesn't work, boy, they're going to come after you head on full assault. And uh, we were reminded even this week, Brother Smith, and it's so very true, okay? You and I cannot be possessed of a demon or an evil spirit because we are already indwelt by the Holy Spirit. But we sure can be oppressed. We sure can be oppressed. And much like this is described here, he can come after us. His demons can come after us and oppress us day in and day out, trying to what? Devour us, swallow us, and discourage us. And so we are encouraged, as we saw real quick, the encouragement here in the passage, verse 9, Nehemiah there, pray and watch. Pray unto God and watch. And uh, we reminded ourselves of Christ's own words, Mark 14, watch ye and pray that ye enter in, not in temptation, lest ye enter into temptation. Uh, we also saw that back in Nehemiah chapter number 4, verses 13 and 14, encourages don't be afraid to battle the devil with God on your side. I love that statement. I hope you caught on to it. He says he spoke to the nobles. He spoke to the workers. He said, listen, we don't need to fear. Let's not be afraid. Just remember your Lord. And he is what? Great and terrible. Let him fight for you. Go to fight, go to battle with your God, because he is great and terrible. Even, even the devils fear him, amen? We saw that in the New Testament. It's all throughout the pages. They look at Christ and, oh, don't do this to us. Don't. They fear him. Aren't you thankful that you get to fight with God whom the devils fear? And he gets to fight your fights. He will. He'll, he'll come and fight with you. And that's the encouragement we found in James chapter 4 and verse 7. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Uh, join up on his team. Join, ask him to go to battle for you. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. What a great encouragement from that. And then what happens when you do that? I, I like verse 15 of that passage. It says that he brought their counsel to naught. In other words, God spoils the operation of the devil. <laughs> the best laid plans of men and mice. And the best laid plans of the devil devil fall apart when God's in it. God's fighting for you. 
His operation may sound foolproof. He may be as elaborate as some of those we studied in history. And the reality is they will falter. They will fail because God will bring their counsel to naught. Devil will not have victory as you and I resist him in the power of God. Okay, tonight we want to see two more operations. I said there's six, and when we're down the road, we'll get the other two. But two more operations of the devil this evening. Numbers chapter 13. Okay, if I did not tell you already, turn there. Numbers chapter 13. Okay, maybe you saw it on the slide, but Numbers chapter 13. Now, when we come to Numbers 13, it should have been one of the greatest times, moments of triumphant celebration in the history of Israel. It, it really should have been the culmination of everything. This, was, this should have gone down in the history of Israel as the turning point for their nation. It, it should have gone down as, in, in, as the, this is the time we really became a nation with our own land. Uh, this is the time that we should have been celebrating with feasts and for many years to come. In fact, we would put it this way, as it should have been a great celebration, they were on the doorstep of the promised land. God intended that to be their everlasting possession. This should have been the beginning of the end, in a sense. This should have been the time that they came and assumed their uh, possession of the promised land that would not end if they obeyed God. And so this was a great event and a great celebration. Now, I don't know about you. Sometimes we celebrate things around here with food and cake and maybe balloons. You do that with balloons and things like that, and you celebrate it. Well, um, (laughs) any of you children ever have a balloon at a birthday party? And, uh, and as you're enjoying it and as you're playing with it, that balloon pops. It deflates, okay? The air goes out of it or something like that. You ever have that happen? I, I, it's, I shouldn't say it's funny, but you ever watch a baby maybe playing with a balloon and it pops? And that baby just, <laughs> and then it lets it rip, right? Starts crying. All of a sudden, they're having fun. They're beating a balloon and batting it and everything else, and all of a sudden, pop. That balloon pops, and I almost brought a balloon and popped it, see? But somebody probably would have woke up and shoot me. But anyway, so I didn't do that, all right? But pop a balloon, and and what happened? Oh, man, the the celebration turns into mourning, shall we put it that way. A joyous occasion and activity has changed to a day of mourning, all because their balloon deflated. Well, do you realize that's what happens in numbers here? They're here, they send the spies out, and man, this ought to be great. We can't wait till they get back, and we're gonna, the next thing will be Moses will lead us into the promised land, or, or, and everything will be hunky-dory. We're going to assume this possession. It's a great day of celebration. Well, something happens that deflates these Israelites. And may I just tell you right now, you ought to understand and realize one of the things that Satan loves to do, wants to do, he wants to deflate you spiritually. He, can I just put it in terms of what we just described? He wants to pop your balloon spiritually. He wants to take away from any celebration, any success, anything that's going on. He, he really wants to deflate it. That's what happens here, right? They made great progress. They've escaped Egypt. Uh, the Egyptians are no longer. They're in the rearview mirror. They've been, uh, the, they've been delivered from other nations that tried to attack them in their journeys. They've been provided manna and water and things. Things are going great. Now they're here. They're on the doorstep of the promised land. It ought to be their everlasting possession. And all of a sudden, these spies come back. And you know what happens? You know it well. They deflate the entire group. The air goes out of the moment. They come back and basically say, don't you, now people don't get all excited now, okay? It's not as good as you think it is. It, it's not as good as we, we thought it was, all right? And they tell them, we can't ever take it. We're, we, we can't go into this land. It's just not going to work. It's not going to happen. And could you imagine how the air went out of that entire nation? In just a few short verses, it's like, oh, it's never going to work. We're not going to be able to do it. Look with me in Numbers chapter 13 here. Just look at verses 27 through 29. We know the story well, so we won't read the whole thing. But look at verse 27. They come back and and, uh, they report to Moses and Aaron in the congregation. Verse 26 tells us that. And in verse 27, here's what we read. And they told him, specifically Moses, and said, We came into the land whither thou sentest. And, yes, surely it floweth with milk and honey, and this is the fruit of it. Nevertheless, now let me ask you, we saw nevertheless already today. Okay, you remember what I said that represented? Here's resolve. Here's negative resolve. Here's the opposite. Okay, we saw the nevertheless in Nehemiah chapter 4. And Nehemiah saying, nevertheless, we're not going to let the the discouragement of the devil. We're not going to allow the mocking. We're not going to allow the assault of the devil to stop us, discourage us. Here's just the opposite. 
Okay, yeah, it's flowing with milk and honey. Yeah, it's everything God promised to be. But nevertheless, here's their resolve. They've been deflated. Notice what the rest of the passage says. Nevertheless, the people be strong. They dwell, that dwell in the land, and the cities are walled and very great. And moreover, we saw the children of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south, and the Hittites, and the Jebusites, and the Amorites, and dwell in the mountains. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea, by the coast of Jordan. And Caleb stilled the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once, possess it, for we are, well, Edward came, the, the one shining star in the moment, Caleb and Joshua, those two guys. But, verse 31, but the men that went up with him said, We are not able to go against the people, for they are stronger than we. And they brought up an evil report of the land, which they had searched unto the children of Israel, saying, The land through which we have gone to search, it is a land that eateth up the inhabitants thereof. Huh. What does that sound like? Swallow up? Devour, that eateth up the heavens of thereof. And all the people that we saw in it are men of what? Great stature. Now listen to me. Do not miss it. Okay? You know what the devil's just done in his deflation of this group of people? Nehemiah said what? Let's remember the Lord who was what? Great and terrible. Did you see what these spies came back and said? The land is great. It's terrible. The people are great. They're terrible. Focus is not on God. The focus isn't on what they can accomplish with God helping them and fighting their battles. No, the focus is simply on what Satan would have them to focus on. The terribleness of the land, the greatness of the stature of the people. Notice verse number 33. And there we saw the giants, the son of Anak, which come of the giants. And we were in our own sight as grasshoppers. And so we were in their sight. Here's the operation. Don't miss it. It is operation deflate. Operation deflate. We have operation devour, operation discouragement, operation deflate. What's the objective? The goal is to stop you in your tracks. Satan doesn't want you moving forward spiritually. He made some good progress this week in revival. He wants it stopped. He doesn't want anything else being done. He wants you not to, not, not to go forward, push forward, not to live out the decisions. Uh, did it work as they stood on the, the, the doorstep of the promised land? Sure did, didn't it? They were stopped in their tracks, deflated, discouraged. And it all led to disobedience and lack of faith instead of obedience in faith that moves us forward. Now listen very carefully and see what happens. See, Satan knows something that is of a truth that many of us have experienced personally and we've seen in the lives of others. Whenever the devil is able to stop you in your tracks spiritually, you don't just stop going forward, you always go backwards. You always slide. You start letting things go. You aren't as faithful as you used to be. You, you, you aren't doing the things you ought to do. You start going backwards. That's exactly what happens with the Israelites, isn't it? We know the story, but hear, hear how they put it into their own words. Look with me, Numbers chapter 14. The next chapter, look at verses 1 through 4. And the congregation lifted up their voice and cried, and the people wept that night. And all the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron. And the whole congregation said unto them, Would God that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would God we had died in the wilderness? And wherefore hath the Lord brought us into this land to fall by the side that our wives, the sword, excuse me, that our wives and our children should be a prey? Were it not better for us to, what's that word? Return into Egypt. And they said one to another, let us make a captain and let us what? Return to Egypt. Go backwards. Let, let, let us go backwards. Let's, whenever Satan deflates us, about what's happening spiritually and that you can make any progress and he takes away any hope and, and he just discourages us to the point that he deflates us. We don't just stand still in our tracks. We go backwards. He knows it. He knows it well as is seen here. You see, why are they going backwards? Because Satan's operation was sadly a rousing success. He was able to deflate them, stop them in their tracks of following God and how sad it is. And yet, do not forget, this is your enemy. This is your adversary. And what he did to the Israelites in Numbers 13, Numbers 14, at the doorstep of the promised land, he will do to each one of us. He will try to deflate us spiritually. He will use whatever it is. He may use the disparaging saint and sinners or sinners. Those spies came back and Satan used them. He can do that. He can use a disparaging saint, a disparaging sinner uh, to deflate you and I. He may use uh, defeating obstacles. 
he may use uh, as he did those, oh, there's giants, the sons of Anak. Uh, boy, there's, there's all these nations there, and they're walled cities, and just defeating obstacles in our lives. Oh, I can never do that. You're right. Huh? Devil, you're right. I can't. Why am I even trying to live for God? Why am I even trying to do this? And, and boy, he, he deflates us spiritually, stops us in our tracks so we don't go forward. Then he delights in us going back spiritually. Could, could I ask you a question? How do you think the devil reacted when he witnessed this taking place? Don't you think he was giddy like a little school child? Don't you think he was over there going, yeah, <laughs> look at him. Look at them. They're not, they're not following God. They're not going to go in that promise land. It worked. This is great. All it took was 10 spies. All I had to do was convince them. It would not work. They could not do it. And it stopped them in their tracks. And guess where they're headed? They're headed back to Egypt. This is wonderful. This is just what I want for every follower of God. To be deflated. To be stopped in your tracks so that you no longer grow, you no longer follow God's word, you no longer read it, you no longer spirit-led, spirit-surrendered, you go backwards. Devil would love to do the exact same thing that he did for them in each one of our lives. They weren't overcomers, were they? They didn't watch and pray. They didn't rely on the promises of God that he'd already given them about giving them the land, going before them, defeating Interestingly, many of those nations listed, God had already said what? I'll go before you. I'll drive them out. I think one of the greatest descriptions, I'm always amazed by it, one of the greatest descriptions that God has given about how he's going to drive them out, you remember what he says? I'm going to send hornets to drive them out. That's one of the descriptions. Pretty amazing, pretty neat when you think about it. God says, whatever it will take, whatever I need to do, I will give you the promised land. And aren't you thankful that you have a God in heaven that will do anything, whatever it takes, to take care of you? But they forgot it. He'll do whatever it takes to fulfill his promises to you. But they forgot that truth. They just let that old enemy of every follower of God deflate them spiritually. Can I just ask you by way of application tonight, are you deflated spiritually? Are you deflated? Has Satan sucked all the air to your bloom spiritually? Have you lost that joy? Are you, have you lost all desire and motivation to grow spiritually? I mean, you just come to church because it's the right thing to do, but there's really no inner motivation of pleasing God, growing, becoming more like us, meeting with him as we gather here, hearing from heaven. Is there, have you lost that motivation? Have you lost that desire to grow spiritually, to live for God, to go forward because Satan has thrown up some obstacles in your life? Best thing you can do tonight is ask God, to work in you, how does he promise? Both to will and to do of his good pleasure. We should have read in Numbers chapter 14. The people, did they cry all night? Yeah, but they should have been crying in prayer, amen? They should have been saying, God, we realize, boy, these, this report does not sound good, but nevertheless, we will go into the land because you have commanded it and you have promised it to us. That is the resolve we should have heard and read of. But they did not resist the devil. They did not act as the overcomer that they could have been with God's help. So tonight, as you are deflated spiritually, would you ask God to help you? Uh, pump that balloon back up. Put the wind back in your sails, if we could put it that way. You see, the fact is this, and I love this statement. We see it throughout scriptures, don't we? When people turn to God instead of letting Satan deflate them, what happens? Well, when God's people take the first step in obedience, the seas open up, don't they? When people, God's people take the first step in obedience, the enemies fall before them without even a fight. When God's people take the first step, you know what they do? They find themselves walking on water. In many other instances, in many other illustrations, you and I can show that when we just simply trust God, ignore the devil trying to deflate us, to stop us in our tracks and get us to move backwards spiritually, if we will resist that and fight that and go on in faith and obedience, it's amazing what God will do, isn't it? These Israelites, their children saw it some 40 years later. Walls of Jericho fall down. Nations run before them. God delivers them in their hands. But not this generation. So don't let Satan win tonight. Don't let his operation deflate be victorious. 
Revelation chapter 12 and verse number 9, we read a description of Satan that I would say, you say, Pastor Henry, it's probably the main operation of the devil. What's the, his fallback operation? What's the thing that he goes to, his most favorite operation? Well, I think it's described here in Revelation chapter 12 and verse 9. And that great dragon was cast out. That old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. Deception. He is a master deceiver, isn't he? I like how Christ himself described him in John 8. Christ describes the Satan as what? Having no truth in him, he is a liar and he is the father of it. He is deceptive, right? What do we know about a liar? You know somebody who's characteristically a liar? What, what's the one thing that you know for sure about them? You can't ever believe what they say. You can't ever take them at their word. You can't ever take what they say to the bank because they are essentially that. They are a liar. So it ought not to surprise us that the devil's favorite uh, operation is this, Operation Deception. Operation Deception. Okay? Operation Devour, Operation uh, Discouragement, Operation Deflate, and number four, Operation Deception. What's the goal, the objective? It's to cloud the truth. To cloud the truth, to, to, to uh, cloudy it, to make sure that it's not easily known, to cloud the truth. This series or this, this sermon, these sermons lend itself so easily uh, to a military illustration. So I share another one with you tonight. It too comes from World War II. World War II, excuse me. The Allied forces um, <laughs> were preparing for D-Day. And uh, the day that the Allied forces arrived on the European continent in mass, on the eastern side, obviously, the eastern front there, they were focused on uh, the, um, uh, the Normandy beach, as we certainly know it, and the Normandy there. And as the Nazis occupied most of the Western Europe, this was the, the best way to come at it, to attack the, uh, the Germans and the European um, continent that they held. So we well are aware the Axis didn't want the Allies to get any kind of foothold. So uh, Hitler and the Germans had just gone up and down the coastline, uh, putting things there to prevent them, had all those pillboxes and other things through which they were just guarding the coastline and uh, miles uh, of barbed wire, other things to prevent boat, boats from coming up the coast, soldiers galore on that coastline. And so uh, they had amassed their firepower, their resources there on preventing the attack of the Allies. So uh, the D-Day landing uh, operation was dubbed Operation Overlord. Now, as we mentioned these, uh, these operations uh, in history, understand that different nations had different names for them too, okay? And so same operation, sometimes different names and so forth. But this was called Operation Overlord. It involved, if you remember D-Day, one million soldiers are over that, well over that. In addition, five different nations participated, okay? So there was an issue, right? Or there was a concern with D-Day and Operation Overlord. They wanted to ensure both the success of the operation, but also few casualties. Um, they needed Hitler in order to do that, and the Nazis to be ignorant of their plans. In other words, they needed to cloud the truth as to where the attack would happen. As the Allied forces desired, a, Normandy's probably the best spot, the best location for that. And so, yet the Germans didn't know exactly where the Allied, our, our forces would land and things. And so, they came up with an operation. It was entitled Operation Bodyguard. Operation Bodyguard. They knew they couldn't hide all this troop movement. Okay, one million plus soldiers moving up and down the coast, uh, the fleets moving and such. They knew they couldn't hide it from them. Um, uh, so they came up with another idea to disguise or to cloud the truth of where the actual assault would take place. Now, some have estimated that the D-Day preparations between the five nations, including the U.S., took almost an entire year to prepare and plan. Okay? So it was a great offensive, a great operation. So they needed to do something, and they needed to make the, make the Germans think that the invasion would take place somewhere other than Normandy. And so they, they kind of focused in on a little town there of Calais. You see it here. And why Calais? Well, Hitler already thought that this might be where it took place from. It's about 150, 200 miles northeast of Normandy. Normandy, excuse me. It's the shortest location in the English Channel between England and uh, continental Europe there. And so already they had a hint that might be where it is. And so they wanted to tell the Germans or show the Germans and Hitler, yep, for sure, this is where it would happen. So they set out to deceive the Germans, to cloud the truth. 
to give the appearance of a massive troop buildup in the southern area of England. Okay, so they thought, okay, that attack's going to take place there just across the English Channel in Calais. So they created a phantom force, a phantom army there in London, and that they called it, quite interesting, they called it the first U.S. Army Group. The first U.S. Army Group. Well, that was a non-existent group, but they just named it that, and they kept referring to that in different uh, radio transmissions and different plans and things that they leaked to uh, spies that had been turned, German spies that they turned in their own things. And so they they leaked that out, and they did several other things. They enlisted uh, George Patton. See, uh, um, Hitler and the Germans thought he was logically the, the one who should lead such an attack. He was the enemy's best commander in their minds, and so they thought if there was going to be a cross-channel invasion, he was the man to lead it. Well, they, they got about 1,000 soldiers, 1,000 men to create an atmosphere that simulated the massing of forces there in southern England. How did they do that? Well, the Allies broadcast endless hours of fictitious radio transmissions about troop and supply movements. So they let the Germans hear, oh yeah, we're moving all these supplies and all these troops into southern England, getting ready for this great assault across the English Channel right there. And so they played those things. They also, what they did was, they, they used these 1,000 soldiers to convince them that there was tons of soldiers in the area. how they do that? Well, in the local newspaper of the cities in southern England, you know what they did? They posted announcements of fictitious weddings with soldiers. They used names of soldiers, and they said, oh, this, this soldier's getting married here, and this soldier, all in the, like, man, there's tons of people here. They also sent these 1,000 soldiers into the surrounding cities where they knew there were German spies, and they wore different patches from different groups of platoons every day. So that when they saw them, the spies, like, man, there's a guy from that, there's people, troops from that platoon, from that group, and that group, like, man, there must be a, a half a million soldiers get massing in here when there was only 1,000. Deception, clouding the truth of what was taking place. You see, they also, and I like this one, there was also a sonic deception. There was a division that recorded sounds from U.S. Army bases all across the world. And then they took those sounds of just, just from the bases, people talking, machinery moving, uh, things happening in a normal base. They plugged them in to special sonic speakers that could be heard 15 miles away, and they simply played the sounds of a camp where there was no camp. So the enemy listening in, trying to do reconnaissance and everything else would think, oh man, there's just tons of soldiers there. And they played this sound uh, 24-7. They confused and clouded the truth of what was taking place and what happened there. They also deceived the Nazi aerial reconnaissance planes. They, they fashioned uh, artillery, you see, like the one here made out of wood. And so they put it in different places, make it look like they were getting all this together. They also, up and down the River Thames, they had all of these fake loading um, uh, crafts, landing crafts, excuse me, that were just canvas, pulled over steel frames. They were made of rubber, wood, and paint all around the mouth of the region. I'll tell you, the British and the Americans are deceivers, amen? Ah, from what we see, man, they, they, they know <laughs> that's pretty good, okay? What do we say? All's fair in love and war, right? And uh, here they are deceiving us, and they just made it look great so that the Germans would think, ah, this thing. They put up fake airfields, fake motor pools where they kept all the, uh, where they supposedly kept the machinery and so forth and vehicles. They even put up troop tents. They just filled pastures with food. And not only did they put up the tents, they put up clothes hanging outside the tents to make it look like there were troops there. Just so these planes flying over, reconnaissance planes of the Germans would look and think that there's it. My favorite part of the whole thing was this, or one of them. They deployed inflatable Sherman tanks. Those guys are strong, aren't they? inflatable and they put and here's what's amazing to me not only did they put these out in rent so they'd have like a real tank and then they have like 20 fake tanks and they put them all together so that the germans thought oh well, this is a huge assault group that man they're they're getting ready for a big assault here in calais right across there and man at night they would pick them up and move them and they also had a thing that they'd go behind and make the tracks of the of the tank so they put that all over the ground and, and make it look like all these tanks were moving. The Germans like, this is going to happen any day. We've got to get ready. We've got to get most of our forces in Calais to protect against it. And, and uh, what an amazing job, right? They enlisted some artists and such from Great Britain and other places to paint them and so forth. Pretty amazing if you think about it. I think this is pretty funny too. Even General Patton got into it. He actually visited the groups of these quote-unquote troops. 
and they had him give speeches about, hey, we're doing this. We're going we're gonna to go uh, and attack them, prepare for battle. We're going. And could you imagine him getting this and uh, the, the Germans picking up on General Patton and his speech and things like that, thinking these troops are ready to go to battle. They're going to attack at any moment. Well, it didn't stop when D-Day happened. On the day of the attack of D-Day, when the Allied forces were down in Normandy and they were storming the beaches as we so wonderfully remember in history and the valor and the guts of our soldiers and who we honor, uh, certainly Memorial Day coming up here in a few weeks, and boy, just so, so amazed and proud of our soldiers and the guts they showed. But uh, when that happened, there in Calais, uh, as that assault began, the deception continued. Allied aircraft were flying towards Calais and, and all around it. And what they did was they dropped clouds of aluminum strips. So they'd give false radar readings that it had made it appear a large fleet was arriving at Calais. That all those troops that had amassed in England were moving across the English Channel. And, and boy, the, the radars just lit up like a Christmas tree, right, for the Germans. Like, oh man, it's coming. It's coming. They're, they're attacking. The Allied forces are coming. I think what's also pretty amazing is not only did they do that, other aircraft were far away from Normandy, behind the enemy lines in Calais, and they dropped paratroopers. But they weren't real, real paratroopers. They made fake paratroopers of all different kinds of sizes, and they dropped them by the hundreds, if not the thousands, behind enemy lines. And I love this part of it. Not only did they that, they were wired to simulate the sounds of rifle fire and grenades when they hit the ground. It goes even further. I was reading a, a book or a different article about it, and the reality is they also dropped about 10 real soldiers in each of these group of fake paratroopers. Now, the sad reality is, of these 10, in fact, the one uh, description I was reading of one group, only two of them returned. But their job was this. This is amazing. Their job was, <laughs> as they were dropped, they operated phonographs. Children, if you don't know what that is, ask Grandma and Grandpa, okay? But they played the phonographs, broadcast sounds of soldiers' voices in combat fire. So you talk about, man, this is amazing. The, the depths and the, the elaborateness, the cloud, the truth. We, sitting here in hindsight, 2020 of such history, we know that it was a great success, don't we? Uh, we know that not only were the Germans not prepared for the Normandy invasion, but do you realize Hitler hesitated for seven weeks to move his troops as he continued to think that Normandy was just a distraction from Calais? He, he, he was not convinced. It's really common. In fact, he, in fact, one of his statements was it's a red herring. Uh, they, just, they allowed that force in Normandy. They sent it just to distract us from Calais for seven weeks. They kept back that. In many ways, the successful Operation Overlord was the beginning of the end of the war as we well know it. And it owed its success to Operation Bodyguard. It was an operation of what? Deception and an operation of what? Clouding the truth. Clouding the truth. It's quite amazing and ingenious. And yet, could I just remind you this evening, our enemy is just as subtle. He's just as deceiving. And his elaborate deceptions are often the downfall of many people. Point of example. In the Garden of Eden in Genesis, Satan launched probably his greatest operation deception, didn't he? He came to Adam and Eve, and God had told Adam and Eve what? Hey, you can eat of anything in the garden, okay? It's like me at home. I tell my boys, you can eat any of this stuff, but don't eat dad's oatmeal cream pies or Funyuns or drink his Dr. Pepper, okay? Eat all the vegetables you want, amen? Just don't eat dad's stuff, okay? So, hey, God said to Adam and Eve, hey, you can eat everything else. Just don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, okay? That was the instruction by God. Well, Satan comes along, and here's his deception, right? Ah, God said, you will die. You shall not not surely die. God has said, sin and death will ensue. For the wages of sin is death. Once you disobey Adam and Eve, God said, death, will, you will die. You will surely die. Devil comes along and he says, you shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, and that your eyes shall be open, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. He loves to come as a beguiling servant. He loves to cloud the truth. He loves to confound our spiritual senses, perverting our judgment, blurring the path forward. 
You see, his object is to cloud the truth so we don't go in the right direction. We don't do what God would have us to do. He clouds the truth. Paul also says that he, he doesn't just come as a, a uh, subtle serpent, but there's something else that he comes up. Turn with me, the last passage we'll look at. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, real quick. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. We'll look down at verses 14 and 15. Now, he makes a statement here, Paul does, to the church at Corinth, warning them, as I warn you tonight, about the operations of the devil. And he says this, first, or 2 Corinthians excuse me, chapter 11, verse 14. He says, it's not a surprise. He says, and no marvel. That we ought not to be surprised. We ought not to get caught off guard. We, we, it, not, it ought not to surprise us that Satan... Satan will do what? Here's what he says. Notice verse 14. And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into a, what's the next statement? Angel of light. Looks good. He comes deceptively. He looks pretty good. Uh, Not the devouring lion, and maybe not the subtle serpent. He comes as an agent of light, or an angel of light. Look to verse 15. Therefore, it is no great thing, thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness whose end shall be according to their works. They can look good. They can sound like somebody who is a good person, and yet he is an angel of light there to deceive. Now look at verse 3. He warns them in the same chapter of, the, uh, of, of uh, who the devil is, these operations. Verse 3, But I fear, lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Okay. Now think about this with me and don't forget it. Satan will come as anything that works in your life. For some of you, it is better that he comes as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. For you, he's just going to overwhelm you. He's going to overcome you. He's going to swallow you up. He's going to discourage you and deflate you. Others of us, he comes as a subtle serpent. He comes as just somebody who's a smooth talker, as somebody who, maybe on the internet, maybe a friend that the devil can use, and it's just a subtle serpent. For others, he comes as an angel of light. Boy, they just seem like such a good person. He seems like such a good preacher. He seems like this. He seems to know the Bible. He seems this. And yet they're spewing the untruth. They're spewing a lie. They're clouding the truth. You realize that Paul, almost throughout the entire New Testament, is dealing with what? False teachers. False teachers. People who come, oh, you got to be circumcised. Ah, people, you got, you know, it isn't just by grace. You got you to work to get your way into salvation. There's others who are disputing that Jesus Christ was, was born of a virgin. Some who came along and said, listen, <laughs> there's going to be no resurrection in the end. And so he's having to put out all these falsities that come through angels of light that have deceived believers. Deceived them. Clouded the truth. Boy, Satan loves to do that. Do you see what verse 3 says? <laughs> it gets to the point. In other words, it answers the question. What is it that Satan wants to do with you and I? Notice the statement in the verse. He wants to corrupt our thinking. So your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. From the rudiments of the faith. He wants to corrupt that. You're thinking. Get us thinking off in left field, in right field. He doesn't want us thinking the truth. He doesn't want us to focus on that. He wants to cloud the truth so that people get off in this error. People get off in this false religion. People believe this. And we think of all the false religions that are out there. Like, my goodness, why are there so many? You know why? Because our devil is a big and good enemy. He's a deceiver. He is an enemy that is active in trying to cloud the truth. He's subtle. He is beguiling, the Bible says here. I often think of these truths, and young people, don't miss this. Five prominent lies of Satan. You can trace them throughout the Scriptures. You can see them fall throughout the pages and examples time and time again in your own life, but also the pages of Scripture. What all are they? Don't miss the five lies tonight. Here's how he deceives. Number one, he says it's not true. Like he did in the Garden of Eden. It's not true. Well, God said that, but that's not true. The Bible says that, that, that's not true. He's doing it in our culture, isn't he? About marriage and gender and everything. That's not true. That's just not true. What God says, what the Bible says, that's just not true. Okay, that's lie number one. You know what lie number two is? For those who say, I don't know about that, here's what he says. God's truth is not the only truth. 
Oh, you can have your truth, you can have your beliefs, but you know what? This is just as equal, just as valid truth as what God says. So some people, he says it's not true. Other times, he comes to people and he lies to them and says, yeah, God's truth is not the only truth. Lie number two. Lie number three, here's what he says. It, meaning God's will and way, will not work. It doesn't work. You try to live your life for God. You, you try to be a believer that follows God's word. You try to put him first in everything. You seek first the kingdom of God. Uh, you deny your flesh. You die to the flesh. It will not work. It won't work in your life. The devil comes along, likes to come along to believers and unbelievers alike and just simply say, you trust in God, it will not work. It's not true. God's truth is not the only truth. Number three, it will not work. It doesn't work. And then number four, Christ is not the only way, nor is his way the only way. Christ is not the, other way, is not the only way, nor is his way the only way. Uh, here's a great truth. You see what it's denying. You say, Pastor Henry, how is this different from number two? Number two? Here's, the, here's the difference. Not only is God's truth not the only truth, but God's Savior is not the only Savior. Jesus Christ is denied. Jesus Christ is not the only way. Jesus Christ and his way, that's not the only way to please God. That's not the only way to, uh, to live a godly life. It's not the only way to be saved. Satan loves to come and tell people that, to cloud the truth. Then last but not least, the fifth lie is simply this. And young people, I would challenge you with this. Because I dare say, I, I, I bet you Satan has been in your ear Satan has, has tried to deceive you by saying simply this. You want to be a Christian? You want to live for him? That's just not worth it. It's just not worth it. Why would you do all that? Why would you give up your time and your money and your life to live for God? Well, why would you be willing to do that? And I would challenge you. Here's a simple truth. Can we not say, sadly, that our culture, we live in a culture that is bought into all these lies? Haven't we? We have gone from a nation, do not miss it. We've gone from a nation that on a Sunday closed most everything and was in church, haven't we? Haven't we? We've gone from a nation and, uh, that I believe was founded on some rudiment principles of the, uh, Christ, uh, of the Judeo-Christian faith, okay? Not all of our founding believers were, uh, founding fathers were believers. We know that, and yet it was founded upon principles in such a way that said, you know what? Hey, God has some good things to live by. And in this nation, we have now created, we have grown through generation after generation of rebellion against God, and we now live in a nation and a culture that has believed every one of Satan's lies. We have. And so, young person, can I just tell you, Satan's going to come after you. Truth is clouded in the hearts and minds of many. They are deceived by Satan. Can I ask you tonight, are you deceived? Have you believed a lie of the devil in the area of life? Hey, teenager, I want the teenagers to look up this way. Every teenager, look up this way. I think the number one lie that the Satan comes after every teenager is simply this. It will not be worth it if you surrender your life to Christ. If you say, yes, I'm saved, and as I got baptized and declared to everyone that I am saved, that I want to follow Jesus Christ, Satan loves to come along and says, listen, that, that's all good and wonderful, but don't commit, don't dedicate, don't surrender yourself to live for Christ. Don't, don't surrender. Don't, don't tell God you'll go anywhere, that you'll do anything for him. You'll be a missionary, a pastor, a pastor's wife, a missionary's wife, a Sunday school teacher, a, a deacon. Don't tell God you'll be faithful in church. Take his salvation. Enjoy the promise of heaven, but, but don't surrender. It will not be worth it. That's what Satan says. And I fear you say, hey, we can talk all day long. I can share with you how there is a great famine of missionaries. There's a great famine of preachers and pastors and evangelists. There's a great famine of sold-out believers in every pew in the churches here in America and around the world. You say, Pastor, why is it? Because I'll tell you, we have a very strong enemy that is seeking whom he may devour, who he may deceive. 
And there may be a young person here tonight, teenager, can I tell you, there may be Satan speaking in your heart and your life, ah, don't surrender, don't give in, don't, don't tell God you'll go anywhere, you'll do anything, don't tell God you'll go to Bible college, don't tell God that you'll live for him for the rest of your life, it's not worth it. Can I tell you right now, you follow God, you trust God, and you will find out it's worth it. Surrender. Would you Surrender. Would you just say, glory God, I'm not going to listen to the devil anymore. I want it to be worth it. I will live for God no matter what that is, no matter where you say I should go, no matter what you're asking me to do, I will surrender. Because I don't believe Satan. Because I believe if God calls me to do it, it will be worth it all. Because my friend, the hymn, says it as good as anything. It will be worth it all when we see Jesus. And don't believe Satan's lies, would you? Three things, if I could share with you tonight, how we don't fall victim to Christ, or excuse me, to the devil's operations, but we say true to Christ, it would be this. Number one, we saw from this morning into the night, resist the devil. Resist him with God's help, and he will flee from you. Resist him. Number two, refuse, as we've seen tonight, to let him deflate you spiritually. Don't let him take the air out of your balloon. Don't let him to discourage you and spiritually stop you in your tracks and send you backwards. How sad. Don't let him do that. Don't let him deflate you, discourage you. And then last but not least, would you refute his lies? Don't allow him to cloud the truth in your mind and heart about anything that God says or does. Don't believe his lies. Don't fall for his deception. Don't cloud the truth. <laughs> I love the passage that says, you know what? <laughs> the truth shall make you free. Can I put it this way? The truth will take all the clouds away, and you'll see clearly. You'll know what God says, and you'll follow it, and you'll find out that it will be worth it all. Father, we thank you for your word tonight. We thank you, Lord, that though we have an active, powerful, strong enemy, we have a much more powerful, much stronger God. And Father, that you have promised to help us. And so, Lord, tonight I pray we do these three things. I, Lord, you've spoken to hearts. It is your word and your message and your sermon. So, Lord, now in this invitation, would you help your children to solidify decisions you would have them to make? May there's some here tonight that, in all honesty, they've been deflated spiritually. Satan has caused them to come uh, to stand still in their tracks, and now they're even slipping backwards. Lord, did you help them to resist the devil? Did you help them to cry out to God and watching and praying and allow God to fight for them and to be an overcomer? Father, I pray that they would refuse uh, to allow God to deflate them spiritually. Father, I pray we take your promises in hand. I, I pray we'd look to you in faith and trust. And Lord, that we would counter, uh, c combat the Satan's lies. And so, Father, I pray maybe in a young person's heart life here that they've been believing the lie that living for God just isn't worth it. Lord, I pray that you would tear that lie, that falsity down. And Lord, may they embrace the truth that you are worth everything. Father, maybe tonight there needs to be a teenager that surrenders to you. That comes to an old-fashioned altar and says, Father, I'm on the altar. I'm putting myself there. Wherever you say to go, I'll go. Whatever you say to do, I'll do. Father, I want to stop believing the devil that it's not worth it, and I want to embrace the truth that it will be worth it all. Maybe some of us as Christians are there. Maybe we've been deceived. Maybe we started to believe a lie of the devil. And Lord, would you help us to confess that, forsake it? And Lord, may we be able to resist and combat the operations of the devil, our enemy. Father, I'm grateful that you have promised us that you will never leave us nor forsake us, that you will fight our battles with us and for us. So help us to resist the devil and see him flee from us even this evening. With heads bowed and eyes closed, I ask you to join me in standing all across the